0: We're going to have a study, what I'm calling, What's Your Understanding? It's just a brief look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So you might want to turn your Bibles to Proverbs 3. I'm going to be jumping around a bit, so you may also want to put a marker in Exodus 14 and Daniel 3. So we've got Proverbs 3, Exodus 14, I've got it, yeah, thanks, and Daniel 3. See if I can get it to work. I've got to turn that on too, don't I? There we go. Multitasking. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to break down this passage um, into the three commands that are within it. We're going to look at an example of people who embodied this passage poorly from the Scriptures, and then we're going to look at a biblical example of people who embodied this passage well. And then we're going to talk about how we can apply this passage in the coming year. So let me read the passage and then we will and then I'll open us in prayer. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Father, we know that in this coming year we're going to face trials. We're going to face trials as individuals, face trials as families, and as a, as a church body. And Lord, we're in, we're in trials right now. So Father, we, our prayer this morning is that, um, that you would speak to us through your word, that we would hold these verses out in front of us as we go into 2022, and that we would trust you, that we would not lean on our own understanding and that we would acknowledge you in our circumstances. So, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how do you respond in times of trial? Do you, do you count it pure joy? Like James 1 says, whenever you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, that's a tough thing to do. Um, it's very counter to our nature. The, um, I've got a brother, well, let me back it up a bit. I've got a, a younger brother, his name is Blake. He's two years younger than me. And when, when Blake was in high school, he battled depression pretty hard. Um, he was a believer, but he was being deceived by the lies of this world and taken captive in his thoughts and so whenever something didn't go according to his plan, he went to a very deep and dark place. And it came to a head when he was a junior in high school and I was a freshman here at Oklahoma State, and, and he was really, he was suicidal, and, but he was able to get help. And over the next couple of years, long story short, I saw God transform my brother and, and teach him to trust him in a different way. And it, over a, those few years after that, he was able to travel with a singing group, a Christian singing group, and he was able to share his testimony. And um, as a part of traveling with that singing group, he got one year's free tuition at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. And so my mom asked if I would drive out with him for his first year to take him to school because he he drove a a Nissan pickup that wasn't very reliable, and she wanted to make sure that if he broke down that he wasn't alone. So I rode out with him, and the plan was to fly back. We were going to drive out to Indianapolis, stay with some family friends, and then head on to Lynchburg. And um, we got to about 50 miles shy of St. Louis a little bit before lunchtime, and we realized Blake realizes that he can't. He's lost the ability to, to uh, shift from fourth gear to fifth. He had a manual transmission. And so we pull off on the next exit. We start playing around with it. And we realize he's lost first, second, third, fifth, and reverse. So he pretty much lost his transmission. We call mom and dad. They say, well, just sit tight. We'll hop in the car. We'll come get you, take you the rest of the way. So we're like, okay. But they're in the Texas panhandle. So we're like, well, we get off the phone we look at each other like, what are we going to do, you know, and, and we're hungry, it's, we haven't had lunch yet. So we decide, we're, well, we've got fourth gear, let's just, <laughs> we've got a downhill on-ramp and I, I didn't know if you could actually drive a, a vehicle <laughs> with just fourth gear, but we made it, we went, we actually ended up going all the way to Indianapolis with just fourth gear um, and we could have written a situational comedy on the things that happened that day, but the, um, the reason I bring all that up is that three years prior, if this had happened to my brother, he would have gone to a deep and dark place, um, knowing that this vehicle that he had planned on making it through this year of college, it was already kaput, and he didn't have the money to fix it. Um, but at the outset, when we decided to make this 300 mile trek with just fourth gear, he said, these are the things memories are made of. And I, I remember looking at him and say, just thinking, is this my brother? You know, I'd been off at of college. He'd had sort of this transformation. And I'm thinking, and, and not that he always, not that that was always his outlook from then on. But in that moment, I remember thinking, God, God has taught my brother how to trust him in a, in a, in a different way. Um. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. These are the three commands. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Number two, do not lean on your own understanding. And three, in all your ways, acknowledge him. There's two positives and one negative here. And um, we're honestly going to camp out on that second one today for the most part. I want to look at an example of people that didn't really embody this passage very well. So this is where we're going to turn to Exodus 14. But while you're going there, what we're going to look at is the passage where where Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt. But as I was studying this, I had to be reminded that God had let them know long beforehand that they were going to be in slavery for 400 years and that they were going to be delivered. And in Genesis 15, 13 to 14, it says, it says, God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. So this is, this is 200 years before they even go into slavery, before they're even in Egypt, and 600 years before God's going to lead them out. He didn't tell them it was going to be Egypt. He told them 400 years of slavery. But by the time Joseph, you know, Joseph's the first one to sort of go to Egypt, when, when he's dying, he says, I'm about to die, but God's going to lead you out of this land into the land that he promised Abram, the land of the, the, the Ites, I would say, the, um, the, the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorites, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. And so there's promises like that, And then, of course, God meets Moses in the wilderness, the burning bush. He tells him, you're going to lead my people out. And Moses tells Aaron, Aaron tells, they tell the tribes. Um, So there's these promises that God has specifically given to the people of Israel. But when we get to, you know, finally, well, back up a little bit more. They're going to have the ten, 10 plagues. Pharaoh finally says, you can leave. They get to the Red Sea. So they've got the Red Sea over here. Behind them, they've got, at this point, Pharaoh's chariots coming after him because Pharaoh changed his mind, right? We know the story. Um, but they've got the Red Sea here, and what do they say? They look at their circumstances, and they said, they, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? So when they looked at their, when they looked at their circumstances, what was their own understanding? Their, underst- their own understanding was that this Red Sea is a dead end. And nothing can overpower Pharaoh's chariots. And they may have been saying, God may not be batting a thousand with his promises these days. And that's if they acknowledge God in their circumstance. But what do we see? Exodus fourteen, thirteen. Moses says, Do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. And then God goes on to tell Abram, or excuse me, Moses that he's to stretch out his staff and his arm over the waters. He's going to part the waters, allow them to cross over on dry land, and he's going to wipe out uh, Pharaoh and his army. And in verse 18, God says, Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots, and his horsemen. So what happens? God leads them. He delivers them. Um, he leads them across on dry land, wipes out Pharaoh's chariots, and he delivers them the way he said he was going to 600 years before. So they get to the other side, and everybody has a song of praise, and chapter 15 talks about this song that they sang to God. And within that song, it says, they said, you will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. This was Israel, um, saying in their song of praise that they realize that God's going to bring them to the place he promised them. But that, that promise that they're confident in at this moment is short-lived because what happens in the next chapter is they get hungry. They've still got the same promises. The, st- the promises still apply. And he still hasn't brought them into the land yet that he's told them he will. But we see them complain again. Exodus 16:3. The sons of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So what's, what's their understanding when they look at their circumstances? Their understanding is this desert is a dead end. And there's no one who can sustain us in this land. And they may have said, if they were acknowledging God, to some extent, they may have said, he must not be batting a thousand with his promises these days. But what does God do? He provides them meat in the evening, quail in the evening, bread in the morning, and he, he continues to take them to the place he says he's going to take them. So that's short-lived also because you know in the next passage they get thirsty. And what do they say? But the people thirsted there for water and they grumbled against Moses and said, why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Again, they look at their circumstances and they say this desert is a dead end and there's no one who can sustain us in this land. And God must not be batting a thousand with his promises these days. And that's if they acknowledge God at all. This multitasking thing is a little hard for me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I want to talk about what I don't think this verse means. We are not to trust God to work things out in accordance with our understanding. And I don't think that we are to trust God to deliver according to what we see as good. And here in a minute, we're gonna look at some of the promises God has for us. God had very very focused promises for the people of Israel, but he has promises for us as well. But one of those promises is Romans 8.28 that says that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Um, But I I think this whole idea of our understanding, our understanding a lot of times is gonna be getting in the way of us trusting God. And we're gonna look a little bit more at that here in a minute, but I don't think That there's a promise that what God sees as good is what we're gonna see as good, especially in the moment. And maybe, maybe even looking back on things this side of eternity, we may not still see it as good, but it is good because we can trust that his word is true and what he says is good is good. In the same way, when he says, I will make your path straight, I don't think every time God has a straight path that he sees as straight. Are we going to see it as straight? So I just wanted to, I I don't think that that's what this verse is saying. What I do think it's saying is that we can trust God to always work things out in accordance with his character, his promises, and his word, and that he's going to deliver according to what he knows is best. I don't know if any of you read, got to go through that Advent book that they had out in the lobby uh, it was called Tidings of Comfort and Joy. But on December 9th, uh, when the author was describing the wonderful counselor, he referred to Jesus as the ultimate supernatural strategist. And I think that that's really a beautiful description of who God is and, and goes really, really well with this idea of trusting God. Um, The Israelites didn't embody this verse very well. Um, look at how not oh, second here. Look at how not straight their path was. <laughs> now I'm being facetious there because I don't believe that God's actually saying our physical literal path is going to be straight, but um, they were all over the place, both in their walking and in their trusting. I've got papers all over the place here. What's, what you might find interesting and, and ironic is that Proverbs tells us to pursue understanding quite a bit. And so here's a list of verses where it talks about acquiring understanding. Incline your heart to understanding. Lift your voice for understanding. Give attention that you may gain understanding. Acquire understanding. Call understanding your intimate friend and get wisdom and instruction and understanding. Why would Proverbs 7.4, do you think, tell us to call understanding our intimate friend when Proverbs 3.5 says, do not lean on your own understanding? And I think, that, I think the key in that, in Proverbs 3.5 is our own understanding. We're not to lean on our own understanding. The Proverbs 9.10 says, actually tells us what, what understanding we are to acquire. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The understanding we're to pursue is not an understanding of what God's path is, but rather the understanding of who God is, his unchanging character, our trust isn't to be in the revelation of the next 25 steps in our path. Our trust is to be in the fact that we can trust him. There's another verse, Job 28, 28. We know that Job faced trials. Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to to, to depart from evil is understanding. His thoughts are Higher than our thoughts, His ways are higher than our ways. So now I want to look at. Turn to Daniel three. I want to look at some people that. That seem to embody this verse well. So, we know that at this point in the life of the Jews, they're in Babylonian captivity. And Nebuchadnezzar, the, the leader of the Babylonians, had put up this image and asked, you know, demanded that people bow and worship to it. And so we see, we'll pick that up in Daniel 3.15. Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hand? So at this point, we, we've already had three people. The Jews and the Babylonians are all supposed to be bowing to this image, but there's three people that didn't. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are before Nebuchadnezzar. And here's, his, here's what he says is going to happen to them if they don't they don't do it. <clears throat> but then we see... We see their response in 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Oops. So we know what happens there. God delivers them from this blazing fire. seems as though Christ himself shows up in the midst of the fire. And we sing a song about that fairly frequently. There's another in the fire. But, and then we see what, what Nebuchadnezzar had to say in verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. So what kind of understanding do you think these three had? They didn't have a direct promise to them such as the Jews did, that they were going to be delivered physically from this? Um, could it be that they were looking back on the promises of and in, in seeing what God has done for their people in the past? Looking back to Exodus 14, 13, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. But this time... It wasn't the Egyptians. They may, have read, they may have thought this. They may have looked back at it, Exodus 14, 18, and thought, then the Babylonians will know that I am the Lord. Could it be that they had peace and possibly joy in their circumstances because their understanding was their knowledge of the Holy One and his character? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I, I think there's an acknowledgement in what they said when they said, our God is capable of delivering us. But I feel like there was an, an, an acknowledgement that they knew his ways are higher than theirs when they said, even if he doesn't, we're going to be obedient. And, and like that, that passage in Job said, that the obedience is the beginning of wisdom, or his wisdom. Here's some passages about God's character that I think we could focus on in the coming year. Numbers twenty-three, nineteen. When we read these, you can think about these circumstances of the Israelites and, and the man in Daniel. God's not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? or has he spoken and will he not make it good god's promises are always true he's not he's not faulty like we are <clears throat> hebrews 13:8 jesus christ is the same yesterday and today and forever matthew 7:11 if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him But you, O Lord, are our God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. And then God's promises. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him who are called according to his purpose. Like I said, I don't think we always know what good is. But we can trust God that he knows what good is. And that really is the essence of trusting God. Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Hebrews 13.5, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. John 16.33, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. So how are we to make application to this in our lives as we go into 2022? Let's dwell on God's unchanging character and His sure promises. Our circumstances change, our trials vary, but God does not change. Let's not let our own understanding hinder us from trusting God. Let's seek the understanding that comes from knowing who God is and then one I don't have on there. Let's decide now that in 2022 we're going to marvel at who God is. One thing I meant to mention earlier is the song that the Israelites sang once they had crossed the river, they really could have sang that song before he even parted the waters, because trusting God is trusting who he is, and he's never changing. His promises are always true. His character doesn't change. Our circumstances change, but he doesn't. So let's marvel this year. Let's just decide now. We're going to marvel at who God is, even through our trials, as, as individuals, as families, and as a church body.